Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and eBooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, send it in to podcast at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join the Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. I am back from my social media detox. I was off of social media for a week and it was really nice. I got a lot done personally and in terms of business, which was excellent. I was able to focus, less brain clutter going on, and I feel very refreshed and rejuvenated. Social media detoxes aren't difficult for me. Um, I really love them, and honestly, it's a little bit hard to go back on to social media, but I mean, there are plenty of things I love about social media. Like when I get to interact with you guys, I love it, but sometimes it's just draining with all of the input and the more social media detoxes I do, the more I want to do. And I'm thinking of maybe having a day every week that I take completely off or something on those lines, doing these more regularly. I know the ladies in my Paleo Women Lifestyle program love them. So if you joined in, I would love to hear how it went for you. You can post about it in the Facebook group. Let's talk about it. I think that we should all collectively as a group encourage each other to do more detoxes, draw more boundaries. And what's funny is, I mean, it's not like you're just off the map when you go off of Instagram or Facebook or whatever for a week. You still exist. You still have the internet. But it's a good it's a good learning lesson. If you feel like you can't go off social media, then that is a sign that you probably should. I think anything that you feel addicted to or that's really hard for you to try and separate yourself from, you should separate yourself from it for a bit just to prove to yourself that you can live without it. So I am alive and thriving. It has been an awesome week and I feel ready to tackle the world. So highly recommend. Um, it was a week about relaxation, but I was also very, I was very busy. So it ended up being a good week to go off social media. So I didn't have other distractions. So that was good, but I got some relaxation in, in the form of a lot of meditations in the evening, which was nice for me and some walking meditation, which was good and lots of sleep. I'm still staying strong with the eight hour sleep challenge now that I've been sleeping eight hours consistently like making a point of doing that my body just won't let me sleep any less whereas I used to be able to if I had to wake up earlier I, I could now I will just sleep through my alarms I have no willpower anymore over that so eight hours there we go you know what else helps me feel really relaxed in the evening that I love is my Ned full spectrum hemp oil I know that many of you have hopped on the Ned train as well, and it has changed your life. I love hearing your testimonials and hearing how much you love the product as well. Honestly, until you experience it, it's hard to describe, but I can try. I love it because I take it every evening, 
and it helps me just calm down, relax, get a good night's sleep. It's really great if you struggle with anxiety or poor sleep, so it's a really helpful sleep aid. It can also help with depression, PTSD. It's an anti-inflammatory and a natural pain reliever, so I mean, when I stumbled down the stairs last week, it helped for sure. <laughs> if you don't follow me on Instagram, I had a tumble down the stairs. It was quite traumatizing, but obviously I made it out alive, but the Ned Full Spectrum Hemp Oil really helped and CBD is also a rich source of antioxidants. We all love antioxidants and it has been shown to help with the symptoms of a lot of chronic conditions, a lot of serious chronic conditions, including epilepsy, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and much more. So this product has a wide variety of uses. Ned Full Spectrum Hemp does not get you high. CBD oil will not get you high. And Ned doesn't call their product CBD for a few reasons. First of all, FDA says only pharmaceutical companies can use the term CBD, so just legally. But also it's called full spectrum hemp because they don't the product doesn't just contain cannabidiol. It has a full range of phytocannabinoids because there are other active cannabinoids that really make the product effective. You are not just getting the CBD, you're getting the full spectrum. And I know a lot of you have experienced this if you've tried other CBD oils and then you try the Ned Full Spectrum Hemp Oil and you're like, wow, this actually works. It also actually works because it's made only from the highest quality ingredients. First of all, the only ingredients are non-GMO, MCT oil, and the CBD and other phytocannabinoids. So a lot of other companies will put in flavorings or they will use a carrier oil that isn't as pure as non-GMO MCT oil, which I love. But then also, Ned doesn't use any isolates or synthetic ingredients. And isolates are really common in today's CBD market. And then they also only source from the highest quality. So they only extract from hemp flowers, also known as the buds, versus the stalks and seeds of the hemp plant, which a lot of other companies will use. And then they also use a very gentle and slow ethanol-based extraction method, which is done at room temp. So no super high heat or high pressure, which can compromise the profile of the hemp flower. All Ned products are made from organic, whole, natural ingredients. They're all small batch and slow crafted. And every batch is energetically infused with binaural beats, positive affirmations, and happy vibes. And you can taste the difference. This stuff tastes so good. I will put it under my tongue, hold it there for a second, and then swallow it. I do that every evening, sometimes in the morning as well. I recommend starting out with a 300 milligram, and then you could amp your way up to higher dosages and just see how you feel, see how it goes. They also sell some amazing lip balms. I love the lip balms. I've been using the cardamom every day. It just, it's so like cozy. January is still cozy season. I've been loving that one and the peppermint as well. And they have an awesome body butter, which is great if you are in pain. So I use that on my ankle when I my ankle was hurting as well, and it can help reduce or eliminate the pain from any sore or hurt muscles, bones, joints, tendons, any of the things, body parts, you know, the drill. So check all of those out. You can find all of Ned's products at helloned.com. 
make sure you use my discount code. It is wellness and that will get you 15% off of any Ned products. Again, my discount code is wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S at helloned.com. Speaking of which, today's guest is also a big fan of full spectrum hemp oil. My friend Jessica Rothenberg is back on the podcast. She has been on the show before and I always love having my friends on the show. Jessica was on episode 113 and she is an online coach, a personal trainer. You can find her at The Training Hour on Instagram or her website, thetraininghour.com. She also is the girlfriend of beloved Sal Stefano from Mind Pump. I know many of you know Sal. I feel like I'm their permanent third wheel, but you know, it's a third wheel that makes a tricycle go, right? So... Anyways, we recorded this episode when I was in the Bay Area for the holidays and I went over to Sal and Jessica's for dinner. She made me tri-tip. I was very excited. (laughs) And yeah, we just recorded a little episode for you. I always love chatting with Jessica. She is incredibly wise and mature and level-headed and a very calming presence and she just always has a really great outlook on things in a way of simplifying things to help you gain perspective. She is one of the most dedicated, motivated people I know and she's had a really interesting life and gone through so much and she's Also, definitely one of the most humble people I know, and so I just love having her on the podcast to try and nudge her into sharing more of her perspective and wisdom with other people because whenever I'm talking with her, I always think, damn, everyone should get the pleasure of chatting with Jessica Rothenberg. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this chat, even though she has had unique life experiences. I think that everything we touch on in this episode will be very relatable to a lot of people and that's kind of what stuck out to me during this conversation. I just kept thinking, wow, I think a lot of people can really relate to this emotion, this experience and I'm just excited to hear what you guys think. So make sure you let her know. You can find her on Instagram at the training hour and on her website thetraininghour.com. Overall, very fun day. I love hanging out with Jessica and Sal. The tri-tip was delicious, just in case you were wondering, even though she thought she overcooked it, but I thought it was great, and I got leftovers, which is always the best part. And Sal and Jessica are the best and got me a weighted blanket for Christmas. If you haven't used a weighted blanket, it will change your life. So shout out to them. They're seriously the best made me very happy very thankful and i wish i could share my weighted blanket with all of you but i can't so instead we're just going to share this conversation and i hope you enjoy so here i am talking with jessica rothenberg well i was just sharing with you that i haven't had coffee since the 30th i can't say no caffeine because i've had green tea like four times since then yeah okay so what what sparked it um so i've had like anxiety for on and off for like two years and like really bad um I don't even want to call it PMS because it's not just like right before my period Mm -hmm. maybe TMI to start off with but whatever no never um 
Trust but you know me. that <laughs> nothing's the things I share on my podcast <laughs> great because we're gonna go in detail they know the depths of my bowel movements on this podcast <laughs> no they don't no they do they know it all so we don't hold back I keep a journal <laughs> bowel movements no um <laughs> I've had it's just you know I've it's like the last thing that I was working on it's not the last thing because there's never a last thing but you know I started lightening up my workouts and I tried to you know do some meditation in the sauna every morning. I'm trying to have less intense workouts, drink more water, just everything I can do to like dial everything in. And then the few things for me that were really big were coffee and chocolate. Mm-hmm. And I gave up chocolate last... Wait, wait, before we go on. Mm-hmm. So all those changes, was that because of the anxiety? There are other things, just so people understand context. Oh, sorry, that's right. So um, part of it was the anxiety. The, the other part was that it just seems like I'm 32 years old and every woman I talk to when I say, hey, I'm having, you know, really different PMS symptoms and it's like really um, apparent that my period is coming and I get really irritable and lights can be too bright and sounds mm-hmm. can be too nauseate or smells can be too nauseating and sounds can be too, you know, irritating and And they're like, oh, yeah, you're just getting older. Oh, yeah, that's normal. And I'm like, well, it's really not normal to me. It's really and it's really a big contrast because I had no issues like that before. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I tried a bunch of different stuff and I have just been trying to dial in my health in general. One, because I live with somebody who's just just as health minded as I am. So we try to push each other. The other part is I'm basically a health or wellness coach or whatever you want to call me. And I want to be my own coach. Mm -hmm. So. And I don't like it when, you know, sometimes doctors are like the worst patients and I don't want to be that as a coach. So I'm like, okay, I need to do this for myself. And so the last thing that I gave up was coffee because that was the hardest thing for me. I was like, there's no way I can see myself not drinking coffee, which means I'm completely addicted to it. I know. Well, remember a while back I told you and you're like, I can't. And I was like, you have to get rid of it. (laughs) I know. And just the thought of it bugged me and it would irritate me when people would say that. I'm like, there's no way. Like, I don't have to give up my coffee. Yeah. But I went from two cups of coffee and one shot of espresso a day down to just one shot of espresso for, and I just kept it there for a while. I'm like, I'm not going to go past that. Mm-hmm. I can't. But then we went on vacation recently. And I'm like, you know what? The coffee sucks where we're going. I'm on vacation. I don't have to get up early. I'm just going to try to not have was it. Was this when you were in San Diego? No, this was when I was just in Cabo. Oh, okay. On the 30th. So I went off of it. And honestly, I I don't want to get my hopes up, but this is like the best period I've had in two years. And I'm sleeping in, not because I'm like, I'm so tired that I have to sleep in. I'm sleeping in because I can. I used Mm -hmm. to wake up at four or five and like, I cannot, Mm -hmm. I cannot go back to sleep even if I wanted to. My mind's already working. It's just, everything's on. I'm like tired, but wired. Now I can sleep soundly, which is nice. And um, I've had none of the irritability or anything, like not even a little bit um, before my period. And then the volume of, if can I say this, the volume of blood is even yeah. less, like it's yeah. significantly less. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's weird. I don't, like I said, I don't want to get my hope up, hopes up, but that was my. Well, no, it's important because I think a lot of people, I mean, I think the caffeine's hard for a lot of people to stop, yeah. but, and also I think all these little things that people think that can't be the, the issue, you know, um, like coffee isn't inherently like coffee's not unhealthy. No. You know, so caffeine's not unhealthy, no. but for people who are sensitive, that could be, you know, the trigger. That, and even if it did nothing for me, 
you know, if it wasn't harmful to me, the mm-hmm. fact that I was that addicted to it, yeah, the fact that I couldn't see myself without it. Because I think, I mean, you can be physiologically addicted to things, but I think you can be addicted to anything. You can mm-hmm. be addicted to a habit. And I just don't like having addictions, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I'm not saying I'm without them, but mm-hmm. if I notice one, I should probably work on that. So when I felt ready and willing, I, I did. Did you have withdrawals? Yeah. Um, migraines. But you know what? Because I tapered down slowly the withdrawals were much less so. So I have a lot of clients who are like, we'll talk about maybe coming down off caffeine if it seems to be bothering them. And uh, sometimes people will just kind of get a bug up their ass and they're like, okay, cool, I'll stop it tomorrow. I'm like, well, <laughs> let's yeah. not do that. Might be intense. <laughs> it yeah. might be intense. You might not be able to use the bathroom and you might have a headache and let's just cut it down slowly and systematically mm-hmm. and give yourself a, your body time to recalibrate. And so I did that. And I think that that helped a lot. It wasn't terrible. Mostly for me, it was it was mental, mm. it was mental connection to it for sure. So you have you replaced it or no. with, with another ritual, like another drink, or you just? No, I wondered if I should. I had a couple times the one you had um, remind me what it was. The herbal was, coffee, the herbal. Yeah, element. it has it's yeah. ashwagandha and chicory root. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had that once or twice, and that was nice because it's kind of hot and bitter, and it's something you can have in the morning, but it's not. I don't, I don't think I want to replace it. Mm-hmm. I think I just want to deal with the frustration of not having it in the morning. And it's been, what, over two weeks, almost three weeks. And I still wake up a little frustrated sometimes that I don't have it. But I'm like, okay, we're, we're not over the hump yet. It's fine. You're, you're so, like, it's just a fighter. Like, it's so <laughs> funny how you, like, challenge yourself so much. You know, okay. like, you're no excuses ever. Hey, it depends. I had an excuse for coffee for a long time. Well, yeah. And an excuse for chocolate for a long time. That was a hard one. But I just think it's so funny how, like, when you set a challenge to yourself, it's like, I feel like I can see this inner conflict in your own head. You're like, <laughs> I have to, like, I'm addicted to coffee. I have to. It's so funny, like, watching you. <laughs> like, um, So, okay, so you feel like coffee is kind of like the main factor. And then let's talk about the other things that you adjusted. You could mention at the beginning. Okay. Um, so you said workouts you changed? I changed both the frequency and intensity. So um, I worked out every day before mm-hmm. and with varying intensity. But now I cut it down to three times a week. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, and it's just, it's less intense. And I'm trying to listen to my body. I have a couple old movement recruitment issues that I think I, I still need to pay attention to sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to work on that. Um, my shoulders have been giving me a little bit of grief, so I'm trying to make sure I do more corrective exercise. And then on the days, if not every day, then on the days that I'm not working out, I'm saunaing instead. Why, to explain to people, like, why, why do that? How is that the benefiting? Sauna part? The, 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 let's start with the reducing workouts, and then we'll do this. <laughs> well, the saunaing part, I have to tell you, it's, it's not yeah. actually... I'm not even actually sure why that's so beneficial. For me, I do it because I'm, I use it as a time. Uh huh. We have it upstairs. I'll show you. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's great. I love it. It's very relaxing. I, really I can meditate one. in there and I find it very uncomfortable, which is the reason I do it because yeah. I'm so uncomfortable with it as far as the health benefits <laughs> are concerned. Again. <laughs> but, but that's why, because yeah. the health benefits, I, I'm honestly not super up to speed with that. But the workout intensity, I think people, when you say, hey, stress is a big part of why you're sick or stress is a big part of why you know, you have this illness or whatever. And they're like, oh, okay, well, I just need to stress less. It's like, well, it's not that simple. And what forms of stress are you thinking? I'm not just talking about, 
you know, your mental stress throughout the day and fighting with your partner or, or work. I'm talking about what is stress on your body. Mm-hmm. And if your workouts are too intense, that is a stress. Mm-hmm. Not that all stress is bad. If overly applied, it's bad. So if you're not getting the returns that you want from something, you should probably adjust how much you apply it. And I wasn't feeling good. So I wasn't sleeping good. I don't go to sleep easily. It takes me forever to go to sleep or at least before all this. Um, And when I wake up, I'm tired, but wired and I cannot go back to sleep. Like I said, I had horrible periods. I'd have PMS that lasted from, you know, ovulation. So two weeks of awful PMS. And it's like, this is just not how I want to feel. So it was a slow tapering down of all that, but it started with the working out. And I think that right away felt good at first. I I think when you change something, whether it's workouts or, or food or whatever, you have this first uprise in anxiety and you're like, I don't, I can't do this. I hate this. And I'm thinking about it all the time. It sucks. And then, and then it goes down and then everything is like a lot calmer after you've gotten over the first hump. And then you're like, Oh, I can do this. And I actually feel better without this. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where I'm at with most yeah, things. I definitely relate to that. Cause it's almost like you, that people are like, I just can't do it. And I'm like, just like kind of grin and bear it, you know, just like, yeah. like get through it. And then you forget, you know? Um, Okay, so sauna, and then was there something else? Mm. Sauna, we're reducing workouts. Was there something else you said? Um, I'm trying to drink Are more you water. Better? I'm sleeping a lot better. I'm sleeping a lot better. That's the weird. That's the weirdest part. Cause I no, it's not. That's what people don't understand how caffeine yeah. can take so long to like to get out of the system. So people are drinking in the morning, and it's like they're still that's still running through your body even oh, yeah. at night. And it's not weird that I didn't know. Like I knew it intellectually, mm-hmm. and I still technically, if I have, because I've had a decaf coffee a few times, and technically chai tea. So there's caffeine mm-hmm. in there, but it's still dramatically reduced, right? And and I know it intellectually, whatever, but experiencing it, you're like, oh my God, this is actually, it's actually helping. And I, I almost don't want to admit it. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, there's no way, but caffeine's one of those things that you become addicted very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, my girlfriend said, um, before she got pregnant, she gave up coffee and then she was breastfeeding. So it'd been like two years or some point before she had a coffee. And then she thought she was getting decaf mm-hmm. and she had a regular coffee. And she's like, I had the worst anxiety. She's like, I'll, you know, I'll never drink that again. It's awful. made me feel awful. And I thought to myself, if you had that same coffee again the next day it would be less so mm-hmm. and the next day it would be almost you wouldn't even notice it and you would think oh yeah coffee doesn't do anything caffeine mm-hmm. isn't bad for you and it's like no it's absolutely terrible mm-hmm. if, if you can't see the results that quickly you know what yeah. i mean yeah so and i mean people even with coffee is interesting because people have different genes and some people are like mm-hmm. fast metabolizers of that and mm-hmm. slow metabolizers so it affects people differently sure. and some people like there's all this information about like I mean, some people are hardcore, like, tox- like coffee is toxic and, like, produces psychoactive effects and blah, blah, blah. And they're coming mm-hmm. from the perspective of people who just metabolize it differently than, like, we can also see data on, you know, like, three cups of coffee is, like, people are at prime health every day. But it's, like, who is that population, you yeah. know? And so it can be, I think that's, I think with a lot of things, like, not just coffee, like, for me with garlic, right? Like, mm-hmm. I have these weird-ass responses to garlic. And in my head, I'm like, but garlic's a healthy food, so I try and, like, justify eating it. And I'm trying <laughs> to force my, like, you know, force it yeah. in. But it does not work for my body. And it can be the same thing with, like, coffee. Like, it's, it can be a healthy food for some mm-hmm. people, but for other people, horribly wrong, you know? But it's hard for us, I think, especially when it's a food that we, like, n- like 
for other people is healthy yes. and you almost feel like you have FOMO <laughs> or we feel like, yeah. And we feel like it's innately healthy and it's yeah. like, well, there's not many things that are just innately healthy at this point because everybody has different needs. Mm-hmm. And I had somebody text me today and said, what do you think about apple cider vinegar? And I said, what do you mean? What do I think about it? They're like, Oh, it's got all these health benefits, but it really makes my stomach hurt. But I feel like I'm, and I'm like, that's it. That's yeah. your answer. He's like, well, but I, and he sends me a video, a YouTube video. I didn't even watch it about a doctor talking about the benefits of it. I'm like, it doesn't matter if it's not good for you. If it stresses your sim, your system, then, then don't drink it. Yeah. That's just, you know what I mean? That's, that's the answer. And I think most of the time people are looking for an answer outside themselves and it's really obvious, but it's so obvious that it's, it's easy to miss. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I feel like everyone who asks me a question like that, it's like what you just said. I'm like, you just answered it. Yeah. You just told me what it does to your body. Like, you you know, people are just looking for outside validation, I think. Well, that's what we're kind of taught we're supposed to do is mm-hmm. like, if you're sick, you go to the doctor. If you're pregnant, you read a book. Like, nobody knows what's happening inside of them. It's like, well, maybe getting some outside perspective is good sometimes, but not if it's if it's um, overshadowing your own intuition. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's why I say it's funny when I tell people to use their intuition, they're waiting for some like bright light to tell them what to eat or something. It's like, no. It's the obvious, simple decision you're just not making. Yeah. You know? I think sometimes that's why, like, we've talked about before, like, just having a, a food journal or, mm-hmm. th- like, just, a like, a journal of your activities. Like, because <laughs> you can just look at it and be like, oh, every time I eat this, I get bloated. Like, it's yeah. right there, you know? So people... If you ask somebody, if you say, hey, you know, are you in tune with your body? Do you know your body? They're going to be like, yeah, I know my body. I'm super in tune with my body. Mm-hmm. Like nobody knows their body. No, I can't even say that about me. Like I, and I journal every freaking day and I have done for like two or three years and it's, I still don't know myself that well, but most people do not take the time to observe at all. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there could be some really simple, you know, correlations that you're just not seeing Mm -hmm. because there's so many things in your day. There's so many things in your mind that you're missing something. That's why I gave you that book um, by Eckhart Tolle, A New mm-hmm. Earth, because it's just talking about awareness and you can add awareness to anything and make it better. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing here. It's like, are you aware of what you're doing and what it's doing to your body? Or or are you like how I was five years ago where you eat a food and as soon as you swallow it, it's gone from your mind, mm-hmm. you know? So it's it doesn't exist anymore, yeah. you know? And I had no connection to it at all. I think, I think the awareness thing is interesting because I think a lot of people know that they're, unaware of their own bodies but they avoid that because i think also when you become aware of your body that's tied in with becoming in like more aware of your your thoughts and your emotions and all that deeper stuff um i find that with a lot of people and it's like a lot of people just want to tune out of anything internal yeah some people want are like willfully willfully ignorant because they don't want to know the answers because then that requires action on their part because Mm -hmm. now if i'm aware of something i have to do something about it so i'm gonna stay unaware and that's really common. And that was part of my problem with, because I, I switched over, I was personal training and, and doing online coaching. And now I'm just doing online coaching. And I was worried because the kind of people that come to me, come to me through my Instagram mm-hmm. or they've heard about me on Mind Pump or whatever. So these are the kind of people that are already ready. They're not, they don't want to be ignorant anymore. Yeah. Um, so it was, I had a really good success rate with people because, simply because these people were ready to start. Well, now that I'm, you know, growing my business, I'm taking on new clients from different, you know, from referrals or from different sources. And and some people aren't at that place yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I have to learn how to work with a whole new set of kind of, a whole new set of people yeah. and, and get them to that place. And that can be very difficult. 
So what have you learned in that process? Like, how are you starting to motivate them? That you have to, and, and I did a post on this recently, and I think a lot of times people see my posts and they're like, it sounds like I'm talking to them, but I'm talking to me mm-hmm. first. And it said, um, take smaller bites, meaning if you can't work out every day, okay, what can you do? Mm-hmm. How much can you fit into your mouth and chew right now? And if that if that is very small, who cares? Start there. So I have to... I have a general model of how I work with clients. Everyone's different, obviously, but I have, you know, my own systems in place and I start there. And if things are too hard for somebody, I regress until it, until it works for them. And then we just move slowly. So if it's, you know, um, nutrition changes or, or workout changes or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. we start small and then we, and then what I like about my coaching is that I'm talking to you damn near every day. So we, we're going to we're going to talk about this thing that's hard for you mm-hmm. because we're going to make it easier we're going to process out loud and we're going to take off you know bit by bit a little bit more so that you can progress and then you can be at this point you know mm-hmm. what i always think is interesting though is when you get people who i mean it's like you know jane reaches out to me and it's like i want to work on i want to improve my digestion i want to i don't know fix my hormones blah 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 she's reaching out to me and i'm like <laughs> okay and then we're talking and then we start and it's like okay, easy fix. Here's what you do. And then I don't, I don't want to do it. And it's like, they have that, they have the motivation to like reach out to someone and get help for themselves. And like, but then as soon as like they know what to do, Mm -hmm. um, it's like a freeze response. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really psychological with people. That's why most of what I'm doing with people is not, you know, working on their nutrition and their, and their workouts. It's talking, Mm -hmm. it's talking about the barriers that keep them from doing the things they need to do. Mm -hmm. And that means you might have to push and prod a little bit in things that are maybe uncomfortable, but I'm going to do that because you didn't hire me to be your friend and you didn't hire me to keep you comfortable. You know what I mean? And there's a right amount of course. And there's, you know, you, you feel it out and it's, it it can be difficult through text message, although not as difficult as one might think. Um, But yeah, that is the biggest part. I feel like people are like, I want to make all these changes and I want one grandiose answer and mm-hmm. it's like no it's actually a lot of little answers that compound but they only compound if you do them over time and so if you're not willing to do that it's not possible that's why there's a difference between you and the person you want to be mm-hmm. that's the only difference you yeah know? do you ever find that people become too dependent on that access though to on to yeah me? no yes and no i think um it can develop anxiety when we start to wean off of things or like because i have them track their food and hit certain macro mm-hmm. targets and then at some point we have more what i call intuitive days where they're they're eating without targets and they're kind of eating by feel and then you know let's say i put somebody who's been tracking for a year and you know over time we've gone from one intuitive day a week to two to three and now we're like off tracking it can cause some serious anxiety at first but then like I said you have an uprise in anxiety and then it gets a lot easier and I'm here through the anxiety part but I don't think anyone's ever really leaned on me to the point where you know too much because I think that's the whole point mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm trying to be here as somebody you can talk to as somebody you can process with as you know as somebody who can help you read the signs of your own body but ultimately this is on you mm-hmm. you know um but I do have a lot of really awesome clients who are still with me or come back and say, Hey, you know, thank you so much for the support. This has been amazing. I've had the biggest changes in my life I've ever had. And that's a really cool thing to hear. Mm -hmm. I love being a part of it, but it's not me that the onus is not on me for sure. Um, but it is really cool to be a part of. Yeah. So we talked like, so you mentioned like how a lot of it is the obstacles holding people back, like internal, right? 
what about like for you like when you were first going through your whole health journey did you Mm -hmm. find like did you figure out like what those you mean what were the obstacles for me or did I have obstacles yeah um I have obstacles all the time I mean I still do I still have things that need to be changed and it's a constant work in progress um I think at first I was purely just ignorant I just had no idea about food and what it could do for you so that was kind of like I hate to say it in these words, but for lack of better wording, it was not my fault. I just didn't realize. Um, and then once I started le- learning and reading, I'm like, oh, you know, I can do this. And I've always had this sense of responsibility. So that was helpful to me. But the things that keep me from doing certain things for myself that I should be doing are usually emotional. So if I'm upset or if I'm stressed out, I will definitely self-sabotage. Not as much now as I used to. Um, but it used to be, because I used to be a smoker. I was a smoker for like a decade. And you know, I'd eat fast food and whatever. So when I was going through my divorce, I remember I, <laughs> I had to stay in the guest room because that's what happens when you're going through divorce. You, you know, you can't leave right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of bicker back and forth for a few weeks while you're leaving. And every once in a while we'd start fighting. And I remember at one point my now ex-husband opens the door to start a fight with me and he sees Taco Bell wrappers on the ground. <laughs> oh my God. And he's like, oh my God. He's like, are you okay? <laughs> oh my God. Because <laughs> even he knew. He's yeah. like, wow, you're in a dark place. I'm like, yeah, I'm in a dark place. I'm oh like, let me alone. God. But that's what happens. If I get emotional, I just, I, I'll eat my feelings, mm-hmm. you know, or one time smoke them. Right? Yeah. Where do you think that, stem, that stems from though? That's a, a really lot good of people question. do that. Um, I'm not sure exactly, but I know it serves at a, as a really sufficient distraction, not the eating part of it. But let's say, let's say I, I can't help but binge eat and every time I do it, it's when I'm stressed out and somebody says, oh, well, that's because you're distracting yourself from whatever you're feeling. Like that's a simple way to put it. And yeah, it's true. I am doing that. But I'm also distracting myself with this whole problem where Jessica's a binge eater. Mm-hmm. Oh, now I have this binge eating problem. I have a problem with food. I have whatever. When ultimately, really, I'm just creating this whole problem because it's better than whatever I'm avoiding. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which happens to be whatever I'm avoiding is actually not that bad. Usually what we don't want is to just sit still and be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it's like the smallest things. It's not like I'm avoiding some deep, dark secret. Maybe I am, maybe some people are, but usually people just don't want to deal with every, everyday general mundane feelings, Mm -hmm. you know, and they don't want to be bored or frustrated. You know, I have a stepson who every time we take his electronics away, he has no idea what to do with himself. So he takes a nap because he just doesn't know how to just be right. And it's like, well, nobody, nobody likes those boring feelings. They mm-hmm. feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, I think I use food for that or coffee or whatever. So like in the moment when you, let's say you feel like you want to just like eat the Taco Bell, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, so what do you do in that moment to like get out of that? So I think that if you're trying to change somebody's pattern of how they do things and it's very deeply ingrained, it's going to take a while to do it. And it takes a lot of awareness, which is very hard. So this is where I think having a trainer or a coach is really valuable. Mm-hmm. Because during that transition time, which people might think should last a couple months, maybe it doesn't, maybe it lasts a couple of years, fine, whatever it takes you, you can have somebody help you. And so having somebody in my house, like I said, me and Sal, we're very compatible in the fact that we both strive for health and we both want to push each other. So he would be the one to stop me for a while and he would say, well, what were you thinking? while you were eating. And I had never thought to ask myself what thoughts were running through my head. 
And it, it didn't even occur to me that there weren't thoughts because I was avoiding thinking, right? And so having accountability in the, I hate that word accountability, just in the fitness world, it's kind of annoying, but, but having that kind of accountability did help me. And so when I'm talking to my clients, I try to offer the same thing. We're just going to go back and we're going to look at your day because we're, you're not going to have this day um, blindly. You're not going to walk through your day in your life and do all these things and just not even realize that you're doing them. No, we're going to go back and we're going to talk about what you did today. And then we're going to examine why if we need to on certain things. And then at some point it gets a lot easier for you to do yourself Mm-hmm. Because if somebody were to try to repattern, you know, just the way you walk, for example, it's like somebody would have to literally stand next to you every step until you know you're doing it again, you're doing it again, you're doing mm-hmm. it again, because it would be that impossible to do on your own. Mm-hmm. You just have natural habits. I totally agree. I think people underestimate how helpful it is to just have a sounding board. Like, mm-hmm. even if we do know that we could, like, in theory, figure it out ourselves. It's almost like you, like you can't see your own patterns or like no. your own, I don't know, self-destructive. You're behavior. too close to yeah. yourself to see it, and you have too many um, not excuses, but you can make a lot of excuses for yourself, mm-hmm. right? And so, and there's so many things in a person's day that they do just automatically that they don't realize has become a, an ingrained habit or pattern that it's really helpful to have somebody. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when people come to me, like these new people who haven't seen my Instagram or haven't heard through me, heard excuse me, heard of me through my pump. And they're like, oh, do you do meal plans? And they're like expecting some sort of different kind of coach. And I'm like, no, no. I'm like, that's not the kind of coaching we're going to do. We're going to talk and this is going to be largely on you. This Mm -hmm. is like your responsibility. And like I said, some, like you said, some people aren't there yet and they don't want to. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can start small, but we have to start at some point where you're ready to be responsible for your own health. Mm -hmm. Right. If someone's in the moment and they're like trying to walk themselves off the ledge, how do you help them do that? Like, you know, or like even yourself, if you were like, you, you were aware that you were like binge eating food, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, how, how do you work through that in your head? You mean like, how, so how would I help a client? Yeah. If they're texting me and they yeah. say, Hey, I'm about to eat. Yeah. You know, um, I think I'd remind them of the fact that the, that they stop to text me mm-hmm. is a great accomplishment. Like you already are aware. So mm-hmm. let's grow that awareness. Don't judge what you're, about to do because a lot of the times what that's what will follow it'll say oh my god I want to eat this I can't believe it I've made it so far and I already feel like this and it's like well the judgment is literally you became aware for a second and you texted me and now you're you're going back into unawareness mm-hmm. and you're and you're judging yourself for it um so I have you know I, I'm very honest with them and I say it like that and I'll say you know you can make choices whatever you want you can do whatever you want but you know through the past let's say this person is eating I don't know uh Let's just say they're binge eating again. Mm-hmm. I can say, I know that every time you've binged, eat, binged before and texted me afterwards, you haven't felt good. It's affected your mood the next day. It's affected your digestion. It, it, it makes us regress, and mm-hmm. then you're upset with that. So ultimately, is it a net positive? No, okay, it's not. So all the while, while I'm talking to them and trying to make logical sense, it's not really to, to bring logic because they're in a state where they're probably not able to see it that much, but it's just to kind of calm them down to get them over the, I need to do this right now. Mm -hmm. So then we can, then they have some time and some space in between what they're doing and, or what they're about to do. And I feel like just having somebody there to talk to who's not going to say, Hey, do it. You deserve it. Hey, treat yourself. Cause that's like the whole thing. Mm -hmm. 
but you also don't want to be the person to be like, no, you can't do that. That's bad for you. Well, no, that's going to make somebody feel like they need to rebel too. You have to just tell them what they already told you. You told me you didn't feel good last time. You told me, or I observed that you, you know, your performance was bad the next day or that your performance was lower and just remind them of all the reasons that, that they're on this track. Mm-hmm. And because you have no, um, I have no personal investment to, to these people. It's not, it's not for me, it's for them. It's not like I'm, I'm there judging them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm literally just telling you what, you, what you told me yeah. and what your body's telling me. So there's no judgment coming from me. So it's a lot easier to take in. If somebody's coming, if somebody's talking to you through their, through their own ego, it's, it's not going to help you hear anything. You're going to hear it through yours and you're going to be defensive. So mm-hmm. it's easier if you have somebody who's unbiased, right? Yeah, definitely. And that's, it goes back to why it's so important to have like an actually helpful accountability partner, especially it can be really hard for people if their environment isn't helpful with that. So when I first was like binging Mm -hmm. at the beginning of college, like I, I didn't realize it so much in the moment, but now like looking back, it's very clear that I was kind of like brought up primed for that. Like anytime growing up, like my parents, I didn't have a relationship with them where like we talked about things mm-hmm. um, and my mom would just throw dessert in my face like to make me feel better like oh good job here's this oh you're sad just eat this like you know and um, like just ate our feelings is how yeah. and even to this day now I, I can step back and see like my general my family's like patterns like they will turn to food or drinking mm-hmm. instead of facing their feelings and sure. um at the time it was like really hard for me. I would go home and, you know, be in like, I'm watching everyone else eat things. And I was like, I feel like I'm going to binge, but it was like, they were feeding into it. And it's it's that thing. It's like, just have some more, you know, it's, we're celebrating like blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. And then, and then turn it around. And I was back in college and I told, but I also like, I was like ashamed and I didn't tell my family what I felt like was happening right and then in college I told my roommate I was like I like am going through this and I need you to help me and like I need you to like stop me basically and as soon as it was part of it was as soon as I told her it it was like easier for me to stop you know just literally just being honest with somebody about like I have this issue and then she would like I would tell her anytime I felt like I was gonna bench, she'd be like, I feel like I'm gonna bench and she would say and she would walk me through it. She'd be like, Okay, no. She's like, I'm taking the ice cream out of the out of the apartment. Like she would help me, you know, and I think mm-hmm. about just co- con- like comparing those two environments. Mm-hmm. Um and at the time with my family I felt like, Well, I'm just stuck in this and I hear that excuse as well. And it's like you can change your environment though. Like I was using that as an excuse when I could have well, what I should have, what I should have done was literally had a conversation with my family, but I wasn't as ready to do that then. I was younger. Well, and people might not understand if you have a level of consciousness that somebody del- mm-hmm. else doesn't, you might be offensive to somebody or they may not get what you're saying at all. Yeah, exactly. But even, even then it's like remove myself from the situation and, um, even that alone, or like at that point, call someone, text somebody, mm-hmm. or even just journal about it. Well, because when you're when you're talking to somebody, your roommate, or you're journaling about it, or you're calling somebody, you're making it real. You're bringing a light to mm-hmm. it. If you do something alone, it's like, well, I can forget this ever happened because it didn't. Who knows? It happened just mm-hmm. me, right? And you don't even have that conscious thought because it's so, 
it's so natural to you to just be like, oh, this didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So I used to live with, um, I lived with one of my girlfriends during a really stressful time. And I think, I don't think I, I knew I'd been, no, I, I definitely didn't, wasn't aware because at some point it was like six months after I'd been living there, I looked over in the kitchen and I saw a, like one of those nest cams. Mm. And I was like, how long has that camera been here? And she's like, that camera's always been here. I'm like, you have a camera inside your house? Yeah. And she's like, oh yeah. And I never noticed it. And I remember being very, first of all, I don't like to be, I'm just a very, I'm not a private person, but I am a. I don't want to be recorded. Yeah. There's something about that that I just really I, mean, I don't want to be recorded either. Some Even though I record like half that. my life on my phone, it's fine. <laughs> if it's up to me, that's different. Yeah. And some people are like, I have nothing to hide. It's not the point though. I didn't choose to be recorded, yeah. right? So I remember being really perturbed by it and then I realized why. And it's because I would get home late because I worked late. And I would get home at like 10 p.m. and everybody else was in bed and I would stand there and I would binge eat. Mm-hmm. And if it's being recorded, it means it's real. Mm-hmm. And now I have to realize that this is real yeah and that was great for me because that was my first step of realizing that I did that but it was like really I mean it made me feel it was like a detriment to my <laughs> to my character for a minute I was like oh my god people are seeing me do this but I knew it was real I knew it was happening and now I can't deny it mm-hmm. and so the next level of that is telling somebody else and they're going to reflect it back at you and this is just so that's what I want to do for my clients. It's like, when you come to me and you say, Hey, I'm about to binge. It's like, yes, you're, you're making it real, but I'm also going to make real for you how far you've come. And the fact that you're talking to me right now is a huge step. Like, let's just, let's Mm -hmm. not dwindle down and spiral out of control here and feel like you, you know, you're feeling like, this is great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're literally about to do what you used to do. And you're texting me first and said, great. Step one. Yeah. It also gets confusing too, because I mean, just on the topic of binging, it can come from that place or like especially I see a lot of people is like when they're restricting too much you know and it's like yeah Yeah. of course right so it's not even just about thinking about the what they're trying to avoid but also like what were you doing during the did you eat enough food during the day you know like things like that or any sense of restriction even if it's not food like sometimes people will eat in response to that feeling like it's just this back and forth like emotional restriction too oh i see what you're saying yeah yeah um so i don't know working through all maybe of it's that. all a matter of control i'm not sure a sense of control or, or something to that effect but a lot part of it is mental and emotional the other part is you know i'm just realizing now and i don't mean knowing i knew this already but i'm really feeling that if i'm not hydrated i want more mm-hmm. sweet stuff i definitely crave sugar when mm-hmm. i'm not hydrated and it's like, well, if you have somebody who doesn't drink water and they're chronically dehydrated yeah. and they're emotionally trying to stuff their feelings, well, that's going to just compound the issue and they're going to feel like they are never going to get out of their binge eating habit or mm-hmm. whatever it is they're doing, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, there is, so there's, there's two sides of it. So when I'm coaching people, I try to talk to them about, hey, here's the changes. Maybe we should try and make, you know, if, if you feel bad every time you eat avocado, maybe we should pull it out for a while Mm -hmm. and if coffee increases your anxiety maybe we should decrease that and if your workouts they seem a little bit too intense and your body's not responding let's switch those up but I also want to tackle the emotional side too and we're also going to talk because it's not one thing there's never one silver bullet I wish there were Mm -hmm. but there's a bunch of stuff and here's the thing I'm not even you know I'm good at what I'm good at but there are plenty of clients of mine who also see acu you know they have an acupuncturist Mm -hmm. or they have a therapist or they have you know there's a whole team of people they work with sometimes and I'm happy to be a, a part of it, but I mean, there's a million ways that you can tackle these problems, right? Mm-hmm. If you even want to call them problems, but it's a whole lifestyle change. 
Yeah. Well, I think it can help to have different perspectives and fixing it from different angles. And then sometimes it all clicks together. Yeah. You know? So, okay. But I kind of want to go, like, back to your childhood. Okay. And talk about how you grew up. Okay. And so where where did you grow up? Where were you born? Uh, I was born in San Jose, California. But... I believe we, let's see, when I was 10, I moved to New Hampshire for a year. Then we, my mom liked to just move everywhere. I lived in England for four or five years for high school. I lived all around the Bay Area. Everyone's like, oh, are you an army brat? No, my mom just likes to move a lot. Why, why do you think she liked to move so much? My perspective, um, it's, it's like she's chasing like happiness. Like, oh, it'll be better there. Oh, no, it'll be better there. And I'm like, mom wherever you go, there you are, just, just make wherever you are good, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and it would, we were not, we didn't have a lot of money when I was younger. So it was always like, well, it's cheaper here to live or it's a better, you know, quality of life or we'll be able to do more there. And she would just build up the stream and we were kids who were like, yeah, okay. So we'd pack up and we'd move. And, you know, inevitably it's the same thing because you're the same people making the same lifestyle choices. At the time, did you like moving around? Um... I don't think I ever I question it. I, I didn't really question it. And then there was a time, a long time where I, once I was an adult and I stopped moving around, I thought, oh, now I, cause then after that, so let, let me go back. So I grew up in San Jose, but I spent a collective 10 years away because I moved, like I said, I lived in New Hampshire. I lived in England. Then I came back to the States. Then I met my ex-husband who ended up working for Cirque du Soleil and I ended up working for Cirque du Soleil. So we toured with them for four years. So you met, did you guys meet before you joined? Yeah, we met here. We met here in San Jose and, um, Cirque du Soleil called like 10 months later and they're like, Hey, you're not, you know, an athlete anymore. You don't, you don't compete, but would you like to work for a circus? And we thought, okay, we'll do it for a year. But then I ended up working for them too backstage and, um, and I thought, well, we're making good money. We're young. We're traveling. And now I'm used to traveling all the time. I'm used to not staying in one place. I'm used to picking up and moving and not having a lot of stuff to make that easier to do. So let's just keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's only really become over the past two or three years where I'm, I don't want to move. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I want to sit down and not do that. Um, but you had asked where I grew up. So Yeah. Well, I mean, I just think it's interesting. You're very... I feel like the fact that you moved around so much explains a lot about why you are the way you are now. You seem mm-hmm. like you're you're very like you kind of like the control of the house. You like the <laughs> you like to you like take a lot of pride in the like your house is beautiful and you like yeah. to you know what I mean and like you like to feel settled and like comfortable, mm-hmm. you know. And I feel like that probably is is at least somewhat influenced by the fact that you're kind of moving everywhere and it's like now you're yeah. settling like i think this it, is life it's nice to know that this is my second christmas in this house and i can go into the garage and i can pull out the christmas decorations and i have them there and i have a box of emergency food and i have you know just random stuff that people would have in a house mm-hmm. when when they're not living out of a suitcase and i really like that i really like the security of knowing that when i come back my house will will be my house and it'll look like it looks and mm-hmm. and that was hard at first because I'm so used to like I'm so used to change that I think I I wanted to prepare myself all the time for change I wanted to like 
I, I think I wanted to change my environment before it cha- got changed on me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Now I've been here for so long in this two or three years is not a long time, but I'm getting to the point where I'm much more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I do like my home to be a certain way. I yeah. can be a little bit, um, anal about cleaning it. <laughs> <laughs> Looks good though. I mean, <laughs> what about your ex-husband? I want to talk about that sure. relationship because, Okay, so you guys met before Cirque and then yeah. joined. Um, and then how how long were you dating before you got married? We were together four years before we got married. Four and a half years. That's a while. Yeah. Um, when I first met him, I mean, he was a very good guy, very modest. He was, you know, he spoke three languages. His family's from Ukraine. Um he was second in the world in acrobatics gymnastics like two years before. Um, and he was very humble about all these things. He didn't even talk about them and surrounded himself with pretty good people. Mm-hmm. So it was very strange for me because when we went on tour, he, you know, he's in a show, he's an artist and it's a different lifestyle. And he got a little bit diva ish. And I think not being around his good friends and his dad and being instead around a bunch of people on tour who were kind of also divas. I don't mm-hmm. know what else to call them. Um, not that everyone there is like that, but the people he hung around with were. Um, changed him a little bit. Also, culturally, like, there's, you know, he, he was, he grew up mostly here, so he wasn't really Ukrainian mm-hmm. necessarily. But when he was on tour, they put him in the wardrobe because they thought they were hiring an, an artist who only spoke Russian. So they're like, oh, you're in the in the wardrobe room with all the Russian guys. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh, so these are my new friends now. And it's just culturally very different. And, you know, over time, he just started to change a little bit. And he just became a different person. So what ended up happening is we'd come home every, you know, six to eight weeks or a couple of months or whatever. And people at home would be like, wow, you know, how can you be having problems? He's such a great guy. He's just so awesome. Mm-hmm. And people on tour would be like, how can you be with this guy? <laughs> like, he's awful <laughs> because he's two different people. And I think he got depressed because now looking back, he would eat horribly. His stomach hurt all the time. He ended up getting vitiligo. I'm sure you know what vitiligo yeah. is, which really depressed him more. He um, he would say things like, you know, I have to gain weight. I, I, you know, I need to be strong anyway, but he'd be eating ice cream. I'm like, that's not the same mm-hmm. as eating good calories. And he would stay in bed till 3 p.m., get up, go do the show, come home, stay up until 3 a.m. playing video games, and then lay in bed all the next day. And I'm like, we're in Argentina or Germany or, you know, Taiwan. Like, let's go travel. And he was, I think he was depressed. I don't know what it was, but long story short, that was the the disillusionment of that. It's interesting that you say that because I was actually going to bring this up earlier when you're talking about how like you and Sal are great because you kind of like push each other to always be better um, and can serve as each other's accountability partners. Um, And then you you bring this up and I, I recently had a conversation with one of my really good friends who is concerned because his girlfriend is doesn't take care of her health mm. and he is like i just think that what he's like i think just as soon as we start living together she'll start working out and eating healthier because like i'll rub up i'll rub off on her and like i'm gonna be buying the food and like and i'm like sometimes that works like sometimes like if you're just living with someone if you're open yeah to it. but other times like like and that's <sighs> a good example of how it's like you know you were in that situation mm-hmm. like 
he was still he had the perfect partner who would who could motivate him in a positive direction right and it well, wasn't working it's funny you say it like that because it was actually the opposite of that it was like i had just started on this you know before we went on tour i had lost you know 60 pounds or whatever then i go on tour i start reading all these nutrition books and i start working out mm-hmm. so i was really like hardcore i'm like waking up at 7 a.m and i'm you know running and i'm working out and i'm practicing russian or i'm practicing i'm just doing all these different things before he's even woken up and me, I think trying to better myself all the time made him feel insecure. Mm. And I and I don't mean that in a jabbing sort of way. I mean, I honestly feel like that might have made him feel like, oh, Probably. she's growing past me. a lot me. of people, though. Yeah. Like, it can. family, friends, like, that's yeah. what it comes back to when people, like, shoot you down for when you have healthy habits. I see that all the time. Yeah, that's true. You know? And he didn't do it overtly, but you can tell that the more I tried to better myself, the more it made him feel insecure. And then what really kind of tore us apart, strangely enough, was when I started reading that book, A New Earth, because it started changing me. And I thought, okay, I want to be more aware. I want to be a better person. And I want to, you know, just work on myself actively, productively, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's funny because it says in the book that when you do this, the people around you, it's going to make them more unaware. It's going to have an uprising in, in ego, but just... Don't let it change you. Just keep going with what you're doing. And and hopefully people will, like that guy said, hopefully she'll just rub off. Yeah. Um, But it didn't happen. It drove us apart for sure. Um, I think he wanted me to be the best me I could be if it came from him. Mm. So when I first met him, I was very meek. I was very not confident. Like I said, I just lost a bunch of weight and I was super timid and and he liked being the reason that I wasn't. He liked showing me that I could be confident. But as soon as I started realizing that that can come from inside of me, mm-hmm. he, I think that made him scared. You know? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So then that dissolved. Mm-hmm. Was that a, not a good, like... Oh, no, that was awful, awful. It's probably the worst. It, it was the worst thing I've ever been through. And it's not because... Because people think, oh, if you break up with somebody or you divorce, it's sad because you miss the person and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's like a fraction of it. Yes, I, of course, I missed him. But I, I missed my husband for two years before we were apart because he wasn't the same person. So I had already missed him, right? He's already not there. For me, it was like my confidence was gone because here's this person. And not in the same confidence I was just sort of talking about. But I mean, you you don't want to be codependent, but you live with a person Mm -hmm. and the rest of the world, you know, could all fall apart. But when you come home, you have that person who loves you and agrees with you or has your back or whatever. And that when that's gone, it's like, you feel very raw and open Mm -hmm. and it's scary. Um, and that was really hard to deal with. And the biggest part for me was, and we weren't even married that long. We were married for a year and a half. We're only together for six, but when you think something is going to be a certain way and then it doesn't, it makes you just not trust anything else, at least mm-hmm. for me. So I was like, I had this big fuck it mood where I was like, for two years, I'm like, I'm not going to try anything because what's the point? It's going to fall apart anyway. Who cares? Everything's going to end. And, and I would just like tell myself, like, just prepare yourself. Nothing works out, you know? And I thought it was like a good way to look at things like, oh, I'm protecting myself, whatever. But that's obviously not the best way to live. So... How did you get out of that mindset eventually? That's a really good question. Um, I'm not sure. Well, you know, I think, yeah, probably Sal. Mm -hmm. Probably the, probably the, what's the word I want to use? The consistency that is Sal. If, like some people are consistent, but Sal is very 
consistent. Mm-hmm. I mean, what he says is what he means. And, and if he's, he's a very committed person. So I needed somebody to show me for long enough that things can be secure. Mm-hmm. Things don't have to change. Things don't have to be so volatile. And I needed it because I didn't believe it, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I got the perfect, you know, example of that. And so I'm sure that made a big part of it. Um, at the beginning of your relationship with him, like, did you have a, like a lot of walls up? Yeah. I like, think we both did. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You both were coming from. <laughs> yeah, I would say things like, um, cause part of me was jaded and jilted from my divorce. And the other part of me was also starting to learn that, Hey, in a true sense, nothing is forever. Nothing is permanent. And, you know, I was reading Eckhart and whatever. And like, you come into this world alone, you leave it alone and not in a depressing sort of sense, but this is just really the truth of the matter. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he would say things like, Oh, I love you. And I'd say, I love you. And he'd say, we're going to be together forever. I'm like, well, maybe, I mean, I don't know. I can't make any promises. Who said nothing is forever. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, you're still hurt from your whatever. And I'm like, no, no. I'm like, I'm just being, I'm just being real. Like Mm -hmm. nothing is forever. So let's just not, let's just enjoy the moment. (laughs) Like, But I would say it all the time. Oh my God. Do you still say that? (laughs) No, but (laughs) I don't. And I, of course I want to be with him forever or whatever, but I do have a little sense of that. You should, you should always be open and willing for change Mm -hmm. and nothing is permanent, but it's not this sort of protective mechanism I used to have where I'm guarding Mm -hmm. my heart from, from being, you know, broken up with or something. Well, it's scary. Someone, my friend said this to me the other day and she said, like, I'm afraid to just trust anyone. Like, how do I know that he's not going to change like, and know. it's like, you never know. No. And hopefully they do change. I hope you're with somebody and they change and they grow. I mean, God, Jesus, would you want to be with somebody who's the same forever? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Yeah. You're like, no, I hope they change in the ways that I want them to. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's one of the things that's changed for me recently is like, I used to be not for marriage for many different reasons, but one of them was, you know, how I don't want to make a promise. I don't like the promise of, cause you go to weddings and you hear these sappy, like I promise this and I promise that. And it's like, bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. sorry, I hope I can swear in a podcast. Yeah, obviously I, I can, right? <laughs> yeah, obviously. I think you've um, already sworn a lot on this. Okay. Good. <laughs> but I mean, you hear all these promises and it's like, well, I cannot rightfully make a promise that I will love you forever because I do not know. Mm-hmm. And that's just me being responsible. But now I'm realizing that it's not about a promise. It's not about loving you know, promising that I'll love you forever or promising that I'll be the same or promising that I'll even be what you necessarily want or need. Mm -hmm. I'm going to commit anyway. Mm -hmm. That's the point. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm making a commitment that despite not knowing that I'm still ready to do life with you. We're Mm -hmm. still, we still made this promise to each other because life just works better with us together. Mm -hmm. Maybe at one point for some people it doesn't fine, but that's the commitment. It's not a promise anymore the way I, I used to see it. So I'm, I'm, I don't know how I feel about marriage yet but I know it's evolving mm-hmm. and I'm open for that yeah I think like what's interesting the point where you decided like you're gonna divorce like it's not like that was just like one day you wake up and it's oh, like no. oh it's different okay now we're getting divorced like that's a huge decision and like it's like when people are in it I w- I'm just like wondering like you know how do you know how do you decide like okay now it's like that's the part that time. sucks is where you're in between. Mm-hmm. That's the shitty part. If you could just know it's a divorce is knowable and mm-hmm. marriage is knowable. The in between part that you don't know what's happening. It's chaotic. You don't know what's happening. It's scary. You don't know what the right answer is. 
you made a promise to somebody they're obviously you know my ex-husband at the time was going through something Mm -hmm. which means i'm supposed to be the one who's here for him right so there's a lot of guilt that goes along with that when i think at one point I i finally got to the point where i realized that whatever he needs for me to be there for him or to stay as his wife it's taking away from me first. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's, it, it's not a question anymore. It's, this is hurting me to the point where I can't be there for you. So, and I'm me first. So if I can't be a whole me, then I can't be a half of this relationship. So at that point there was just no question. And I, it was like a s- strong realization. It had taken months of limbo, right? Mm-hmm. Of living in this room and eating Taco Bell and whatnot. <laughs> and I finally was like, oh, that's it. I can't do that. And so he would go back and forth with me and I stopped, I stopped doing it. I said, you know, there's just, um, I'm not threatening you. I just can't, this is just over. I cannot be with you. I cannot allow myself to be with you anymore. I realize that this is just, this is just not good for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how it happens for everyone. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of different ways people go through it, but yeah, it was very difficult. Did you have any like preconceived notions about divorce in general um before i got married yeah um you know i think i looked at everything really nonchalantly because Mm -hmm. when i was nine my parents got divorced and and people say oh you know the divorce can traumatize kids or i felt this way when my dad left and mine probably did traumatize me without me knowing because the truth is i thought nothing i literally just okay cool Mm -hmm. like anyway you know there was there was no skipping nothing that changed for me But as I got older, I realized my memory literally starts the day I left. And I was nine. I should have a memory before that. Yeah. You know, I should know what it's like living with my dad and memories from being six, seven, eight years old. And I don't have them. Like you really don't, you literally don't remember anything? I have sporadic memories, Mm -hmm. but I'm saying like a cohesive timeline of Mm -hmm. what happened in my life starts not just at nine. It starts at the day that I left. And I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. That's, yeah. that's just a little bit too, <laughs> too it's very specific. Like, classic repression right there. <laughs> a little bit. What, what is, after that, what was your relationship like with each of your parents? Um, my dad and I, from 9 to 19, it was not awesome in that he wasn't really there. And it's, and I'm not going to say it's because he wasn't around. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because I didn't, I, I honestly, for whatever reason, we weren't close Mm. and I did have a stepdad who I lived with when we moved away and so he was the one who basically raised me Mm. whatever you want to call it um but then when I was 19 I had or sorry 20 I had broken up with my first boyfriend and I called my dad because he I was living in California and the only other family member I had at that time was my dad and he lived in Southern California but he was here and he um he mentioned what it was like to go through divorce with my mom and I finally we ha- we related to each other, you know, I was like, oh, like my heart was broken, you know, this is the first time I've ever had my heart broken. And he shared with me what that was like. I'm like, oh, I get you, mm-hmm. you know, we can be close. So ever since then, we've had a different kind of relationship, I think because I'm an adult now. Mm-hmm. So he's a very, it's a very different kind of relationship when you're a parent to an adult child versus to a child child, right? Um, so that's that. We're close, but he's never been like a parental figure to me in that respect. Um, my mom and I also very, very close, but she is, I don't want to say we're friends. I mean, she is my best friend, but when we, when I was growing up, she, I didn't have a lot of, um, discipline. Mm -hmm. 
And if anything, sometimes I was disciplining her. I'm like, okay, mom, you can't do this. You can't move this many times. Or you have to think about your actions before you do them. Or, you know, you have to pay your bills on time. (laughs) Like, it was kind of me parenting her in a lot of ways. Um, But I would say, for the most part, you hear that from people and it sounds bad. And that's probably perhaps a bad aspect of our relationship. But ultimately she's my, she's very, very close to me. I love her very much. She's always been very open to anything I had to say. Mm -hmm. She has a big influence on how I try to parent Sal's kids because Mm -hmm. they live with us 50% of the time. And I'm for all, you know, basically I'm their step parent Mm -hmm. and she would never do anytime I came to her with anything, she would never go, or she would never like make it a big deal. She would never answer like, Oh my God. She was just always very nonchalant about everything. And now looking back, I can tell her, I, you know, kids ask some weird questions, right? Mm-hmm. And I can tell I probably freaked her out a couple times, but she was very good about staying calm. Mm-hmm. And that helped me in ways that I can, I just cannot stress that enough to, mm-hmm. to people who have kids. It's like you want an open dialogue. You want your kids to talk to you. Because was I a perfect kid? No. But my mom knew everything I was doing mm-hmm. because I could talk to her. And I felt very safe with that. And having, even though I didn't have the stability of you know, my home is going to be my home all the time, or we may or may not have money or food or whatever, fine. But my mom is, is a safe place that I can talk to and she is accepting of me no matter what. Mm -hmm. And so that was a very good relationship I think I have with her. Yeah, no, I think that's really important. I'm glad you bring that up. Like that was something, um, I always felt like I missed out on. Like I never had a, my parents never knew what was going on in my life and I did not feel like I could talk to them about anything. Mm Um, and it's interesting when you talk about how, you know, you didn't know if you're going to have like food or money or whatever. And it was like the opposite for me. It was like my parents, instead of being there emotionally for me, would just throw material things at Mm. me. It's like, yeah, we'll always provide for you. And so it's like, it seems like the best relationship ever, but like what I wanted was just them to talk to me. It's a sense. I mean, you need that. You do need parents who provide for you. Mm -hmm. Just like I probably needed that more, but you probably needed the other aspects Mm -hmm. more. I mean, I think you need more than one thing from parents and and no parent is ever going to be perfect and I think every person gets to you know their 20s and they blame their parents for everything yeah. <laughs> and then hopefully you move past that and who knows maybe not but I think um parents are people mm-hmm. you know I'm not a I'm not the best person now and I could end up pregnant tomorrow and mm-hmm. I'm just gonna have to figure it out right and I think I think the best thing you could do I know it sounds silly but you just as long as you really love your kids and you have good intentions mm-hmm. right you can grow past anything. I mean, I wonder if you said to your mom, hey, I, what I need from you is this. I wonder if they could have been there. Maybe, maybe not. But, I mean, no. we all have different, no. I tried. <laughs> no. <laughs> I tried. I tried. But, it, I mean, at the end of the day, everything happens for a purpose, right? Like, we've yes. talked about this. Like, I wouldn't be the way I am had I not grown up like that. And I'm really happy with where I'm at now. And exactly. same with you. It's like, the reason why you are the way you are is because of how you grew up and, mm-hmm. like, your life and that also explains, you know, we talk about how you, you're always like, you're so mature for your age. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you're mature for your age. Like, that's true. You I've know? heard that a lot. But now that I'm 32, it just feels like, oh, you're in your 30s. You're supposed to be mature by now. <laughs> like, Yeah, but I know a lot of 30 year olds who are not as mature as sure. you. But also, have you always been like this? I've always been like yeah. this. Yeah. So definitely. always an old person, right? Yeah, but it can go, so like I have a brother who's two years older than me. We grew up in the same house and he is very different than I am. He's much less responsible than I am for sure. And it's like we had what we had. Like my mom was kind of free spirited and didn't make, 
a lot of really good decisions sometimes. And that made me more feel like I had to be more responsible. Mm-hmm. Whereas it, my brother was like, oh, cool. That's the way to be. So, I mean, it's how you take life lessons. I mean, part of it is on you, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think I did pretty well with the things that were given to me, you know, in my childhood. I think I would never look back and say, oh, I had a bad childhood. I would say there was probably some dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And there always is for everyone. Yeah. But I think I had a, a lot of love and a lot of stability in certain ways that were helpful to me. So, you know, you do what you can with what you can. Did but, you yeah. always gravitate towards older, pe- like older people, always. friends, relationships, everything? pretty much always yeah yeah interesting yeah it just made it just I felt at home more with people who Mm -hmm. were older and it sounds like I'm saying like oh I'm so mature no I just I just that's always how it worked out for me I was always the same too I also now that I'm older I have a pretty good set of girlfriends who I'm really close with which is great but I did not like being friends with girls before I actually really didn't like it at all I actually dropped out of high school when I was 15 so you really? finished high school in England when you're 16, mm-hmm. but I left, you know, 10 months before or whatever, because I could not handle the cattiness of the girls and the, I don't want to call it bullying mm-hmm. because it's just the way girls are, but it was just No, but it is crap. a form of bullying. It, it is a form of bullying in that, I mean, technically you can call it bullying, but what I mean is it's just the way things were before. Now we were like, oh, you know, cyberbullying or you know there's too much bullying at school and he said this and that's a form of bullying it's like well it's just the way kids are you know what I mean that's just how they are and I didn't like it I couldn't handle it and in England everyone is it's a very small place very small town so it doesn't matter if you're walking down the street to check your mail or if you're going to school you're going to see people you know so I dropped out of school and I stayed home so for like a year I just was like yeah screw this were they did you feel like people were ganging up on you specifically or just like the whole culture everybody no. was that's that's what i mean i guess it's not bullying it's not like they're bullying me mm-hmm. it's just the way kids were bothered me yeah and the way girls were specifically and it wasn't really to me because for some reason i think because i always moved i was always a new kid so i was always in the popular group because mm-hmm. people want to make friends with a new girl mm-hmm. um and because in england i was the american girl or whatever so it's not like i was without friends Mm -hmm. but the way girls treat each other at least through my perspective was um calculated and self-serving and um what's the word you know girls do a lot of jabs that if you're in a crowded room a lot of other people might not notice but it's like yeah it's super underhanded and it's like oh i just don't i don't know how to operate this way and i don't like it Mm mm-hmm so, I don't know. How did we get on the subject of girls? Uh, you don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. But it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, I felt the same way, though. Like, and that's a good way to describe it, too, because it wasn't like, there were times when I felt, like, bullied specifically, but in general, it was more of just, like, this general mm. was very depressed because of just the culture and how mean yeah. everyone was to everybody else. Yeah, and I would say I was depressed, yeah. It felt, it was, like, very sickening to me and, like, nowhere, it wasn't safe and, like, I don't know. It, I mean, it's depressing. That's a good word for it. It's like, well, I I was very empathetic from a young age, and I'm not going to say I'm, I was perfect. I mm-hmm. could be mean, sure, but for the most part, I was not a mean kid. And I think it's because I felt bad for people because I had a lot of empathy. And then I noticed that the girls I hung out with, or maybe the whole school, I don't know, but at least the friends I was with, they didn't have that. They didn't care. Mm-hmm. And I remember being at a sleepover. And it was like a bunch of girls and one of the girls who couldn't come. So she was a friend who was invited, couldn't come. They ended up calling her and like putting her on speakerphone and 
telling her horrible things like how she should go kill herself and certain things. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. I didn't partake in that. But I was like so taken aback that this is what kids talk like. And remember, I'm moving all over the place. So I'm like, oh, this is what people are like here. Yeah. It, it didn't it didn't cross my mind until years later like oh that's just how people are i'd always attribute it to where i'm at like oh it's like british people are oh yeah. this because you know like kids whatever but yeah it was awful it was not it was not good at all and i also knew that if i got into any kind of um conflict with my girlfriends they were brutal with the way that they handle, handled mm-hmm. it so i would never stick up for myself and i didn't want to say certain things when i knew they were wrong because i didn't want to have my ass handed to me mm-hmm. because you know, whatever. Nobody wants that to happen in school. Not again, not like I was perfect, but so that was that. And I didn't care about school. I absolutely hated school. Always have. Um, so I, I started just not going to school. I started just ditching most of the time. And then after a while I was like, Oh, I'm just not going to go. I told my mom even, I'm like, I'm not going to school anymore. Mm-hmm. And she cried. She went back and forth with me. She's like, you have to go. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. There's no, absolutely no way I'm not going there. And I just, I just didn't. You just stopped going. I just stopped going. And what? So what'd you do? Um, okay. So I. So it's a lot to the story, <laughs> but a lot happened that year um, that made being inside and not going to school even more depressing. And this is when I gained all the weight that I had, you know, lost before the circus. Um, I basically I stayed inside and I I had nothing but my thoughts and. I definitely became more depressed because it's self-fed. After a while, you start having negative thoughts and then you just feed into it and you have no... I mean, it's not good to have distractions all the time, obviously, but you should probably be doing something Mm -hmm. during the day. (laughs) I didn't have any sense of responsibility. I didn't have any uh, meaning going on. I had no challenges I had to tackle. I just sat at home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a 15-year-old who does that is, you know... Did you ever go back to school? Like, did you finish school? So in England, you have GCSEs that you take at the end of the year. Uh-huh. So I just showed up at the school and took them. And certain people were looking at me. They're like, what the hell? They're like, is that Jess? Yeah. Jess is here? And I'm like, yep. And I just went in, took my exams, left. And I'm like, cool. So technically, I finished. But I didn't really. That's crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. So I, then were you so you were just done with school at 16? Well, I was technically done at 15. Yeah. But yeah. Holy shit. So, okay, wait. So then what were you doing between 16 and like circus? (laughs) Circus. Um, I had moved back to the States when I was 17. And I was trying to find, I had gone through many different jobs, 1-800-Flowers, Hollywood Video, blah, blah, blah. You should have come back with an accent. That's I what I would do. I did come back with an accent. <laughs> Can you give me a taste? No. <laughs> it's, I can't do it on purpose, but you know what? I think I'm just the kind of person who, um, if I watch a movie with, and there's like accents in it, I will just pick up on it. Yeah. And I don't know why. And it just happens and I, whatever. But it was, you know, I was there for four or five years and my family's British and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was young. But eventually it went away. And if I talk to my mom, it kind of comes out. But, um... <laughs> but I came back and my I was like, oh, my cousin, you know, who lives in San Jose, I said she's going to be a medical assistant and they pay good money. That's what I'm going to do. So I just, I was like, cool. And I just signed up for Bryman. Oh my <laughs> as soon God. as I turned 18, I was like, cool. <laughs> I like literally just paid off the loan two weeks ago. Oh my God. Um, and I did medical assisting and it was the greatest thing ever because I started working for these cardiologists in Los Gatos and, um, they have been practicing for a really long time. They were in their 60s or mm-hmm. maybe early 70s when I started working for them. So they 
would put so much responsibility on me. They're like, hey, you know what you're doing. And I learned more there than I did at, at Bryman. And it was like, okay, you're a phlebotomist now. Okay, you handle people's Coumadin. Okay, we're going to have you do the stress echo test now. So I would run the treadmill, the stress part of the stress echo. So the treadmill part. Um, and I got really into it. It was really cool. I really enjoyed it. And then I started seeing clients or patients, sorry, who would come in and the doctor would say, hey, you know, if you don't change your act now, you are you're going to die or you can change your act now and maybe maybe things can get better for you. And some people would say, fuck it, and they would just get worse and, mm-hmm. and have a heart attack or whatever it is that happened or stroke, whatever. And some people would be like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to turn my whole life around. And then we'd see them every three months. First, it would be every six weeks and every three months and every six months and every year. And you would see these fucking people just like morph like – this man who was hunched over and overweight is now running longer and faster than I can. Wow. But that was that was significant for me because I had no idea. I had never seen somebody put in effort to anything and mm-hmm. seen what, I mean, not just physically. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do a school. I didn't do a sports. I just never put in effort long enough to see a result. And here I was right in front of me. Like these people turn their whole eyes around. It is absolutely possible. And that's when I bought diet coke and and automatically lost eight pounds Mm -hmm. just because i switched to diet coke and i was like oh my god my body can lose weight (laughs) holy shit so i'm like you know i was it's not the right path or whatever path you want to call it but it started there and i was like okay i can i can change my life too Mm -hmm. and now i'm i'm not drinking diet coke but you know and then look what was the transition into like that form of healthy into uh, well, so I, I really wanted to be a nurse, um, when I, when I left on tour and like I said, we were supposed to only be gone for a year. That was a plan anyway. And I think that I started seeing that people in other countries, they could heal themselves in different ways. They didn't run to the doctor or they ate different foods to help them feel better, or they would notice things for themselves and, that was kind of cool. I'm like, oh, that's different. Then I had all this time on my hands because I'm working for a circus. And once the show's done, the show's done. It's not like we have regular errands and responsibilities. So I would read a lot. I read a lot about nutrition. And then I was like, oh my God, I absolutely don't want to go into, you know, medicine this way. And not because there's anything I have against it, but it's not the way I want to help people. It's not the way that I know I can help people. It's not for me the best. Like doctors are good for what they're good for, for sure. But that's not what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So... I think when I came back, um, that was also a a point that me and my ex-husband had that we didn't agree upon. I was like, well, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to be a nurse. I think what I want to do is personal training. (laughs) And he's like, well, that's really not lucrative and it's really not a good idea. And I explained to him the same way I did to you why that was important to me. Um, And, you know, he he laughed. He thought it was stupid. Um, But I could say that with all confidence, I was always... Like once I changed my mind that I didn't want to do that and I wanted to do it this way, mm-hmm. that's it. You know, I didn't go back. So I'm happy with myself that I, I stuck with that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm glad that you shared all this. I feel like I learned a lot yeah. about you. You have a very fascinating life and I feel like we didn't even hit the surface. Oh no, there's way more there. It's I, colorful. Yeah. I can't even believe I need to, I want to learn more about your England adventures <laughs> and that weird time period between 
15 and whatever. <laughs> but we need to wrap up because... Because our tri-tip is ready. Yeah, tri-tip is ready. We haven't had tri-tip in a really and long time. Yeah, Sal walked in the door. <laughs> so thanks for coming on. Can you tell everyone where they can find more Thank you me? for having me on. You can find me at The Training Hour on Instagram or www.thetraininghour.com. My website is bare bones, but it's everything you need right now it to learn about me and what I offer. Everything. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Jessica, for coming back on the podcast. If you haven't already listened to the last episode she was on, check out episode 113 to hear more from her. And make sure you head over to her page on Instagram at The Training Hour and to her website, thetraininghour.com to get more from her. Don't forget to join our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. Leave a rating and a review on iTunes if you haven't already. It really, really helps me out with getting the word out about the podcast. And be sure to let me know on social media what you thought about the show. I always love talking with you guys, hearing your feedback, and getting to know you more. So that's going to be it for this episode. I hope you have a wonderful day and I will talk to you again next time. Bye.